the only way to get good at something is to do a lot of it. And when you start, you suck. And so a lot of the time, there's this fallacy of finding the right thing or the perfect fit. But one, almost every entrepreneur that I know has had many, many, many businesses and mostly many failures before they had their success. Welcome to the game where we talk about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer, and how to keep them longer, and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. People have made a lot of money, people yeah. have huge exits, people that have private jets and multiple homes and massive bank account. Do you think the people that you know who have a lot of money um, are typically happier? Or do you know more people who are wealthy who are unhappy than happy? I think it depends on how they got their wealth. So I think if they were given their wealth, absolutely, I would say bar none, they are not as happy. Um, and I think it, it, I won't even get into the why. I'd say that's just my observation. Um, for the people who earned their wealth, I would say many of them are, I would probably say the same, same smorgasbord as the rest of society, maybe with like one movement upwards because money cannot buy happiness, but it can help you avoid pain. And so I think that is the, that's the hard part that is difficult. It's the same thing as health where like, uh, you can, you know, money can help get the hospital, but you know, get you out of the hospital hypothetically, but it's not going to get you into super, super fitness status. They're, they're completely different continuums that people see as one straight line. And I, uh, removing pain versus gaining joy, I think are two completely different journeys. And so I think money helps absolutely decrease the punishment that we experience in life and the pains that we have to deal with our inconveniences for sure. Why do you think some people, I agree with that, and there's also some outliers where it seems like people with a lot of money almost have more problems, more pain, more stress, more overwhelm. Yeah. Maybe it's too much to handle or everyone wanting something from them or everyone's expecting something now from them. How do you learn to manage the approval or people pleasing of others once you have more money, especially your own family, your own sure. friends who are now saying, oh, you've gone beyond where the rest of us are financially and I want some of that, or I have an expectation. How do we overcome that? Navigate it. I wholeheartedly reject all of it. Reject what? All of it. Any any expectations of me. And so my my litmus test for doing deals, for giving jobs, any of those things for people that I know is that you have to. It's actually the first conversation I had with Layla when we were. It was our first date. So our first date, I pitched Layla on quitting her job and working for me. Cause I was like, this might not work out, but you should totally work for me. <laughs> we'll make a bunch of money together. And I said, this compensation has to make sense for you independent of our relationship. So like, if we're not together, does this still make sense? If it makes sense, then we're cool. It's so on I, your first day of yeah, dating. Yeah. <laughs> if we're not together in a week or yeah. two months, would this still work for you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's clear. I saw talent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think, and I think that that litmus test has, has served incredibly well for me. Is like if you want to hire your mom, would you give somebody with your mom's experience the bookkeeping job? Now, if she's if she's a twenty year bookkeeper, then yeah, maybe, maybe. And to be fair, but would you pay the bookkeeper two hundred thousand dollars a year? I don't know. You probably wouldn't. So, I believe in making all deals as though you weren't friends or you have no relationship. And if it still makes sense, then all of the relational benefit becomes as a bonus. Yes. Rather than I'm going to amend the terms of the deal because of this amorphous value that we have, which can change. But the, if the deal is made logically, then conditions can change and you will still both always feel good about the deal. 
because it was made without the relational component. Because sometimes you have good days with your mom, sometimes you have bad days with your mom. And all of a sudden you're like, I can't believe I'm paying her 200 grand a year, right? I wouldn't, she messed up the books and she only, she, barely, she took a course online, you know, whatever, right? And so, but like, but people make that mistake all the time. And so I think that it has been significantly easy for me to just say like, would I give you the role or would I give you the thing if you were a stranger? And if the answer is no, the answer is no. And if that person really wants it, then I'd be like, then do the same things a stranger would do. And then I'll have a reason. Beyond, now, if I have two candidates and they're identical, which would be impossible, but if they're identical, then yeah, maybe I would give it, but like they have to still meet all the standards. And then that way you give objective, quantitative, you know, like do these things and then we can have this outcome. Right. Seems like a lot of young people want to make a lot of money. People, <laughs> well, people want to make a lot of people money. People <laughs> are willing to lie, but it seems like, you know, at least if I'm thinking of social media context, yeah. you see a lot of young people in their, in their 20s, yeah. early 30s that, are striving for that. And they're striving for it fast. Yeah. They're striving for it, you know, I just graduated college and now I want to get there in the next couple of years. What do people in their 20s not understand about making money or reaching millionaire status that they really need to know before they hit that? So I will probably answer this differently than you expect. I believe that sex is colorblind, age blind, everything blind because there are certain activities that you have to do. If you do the activities, you can get the outcome. Now, if you're tw in your twenties, it's very difficult to do the amount of activities for a long enough period of time in order to get that. Now, you know, you've got Ben Francis who started Gymshark when he was whatever, 16 or 17 years old. And he's, when he was 28, it was worth over a billion. So he was in his twenties and it was, you know, he made a billion dollar company. Is that the exception for the most part? Yeah. That's not as common. Um, you know, I made my, I became a millionaire when I was 20, Six, six or twenty-seven. I can't remember. Between twenty-six and twenty-seven is when I became when I had my first million dollars in my bank account. And so, but I started business when I was twenty-two, and so I still had had five years in. And now that's still fast. Don't get me wrong; it's still fast. Um, but the accumulation of knowledge, because I spent almost all of my excess income on education, and so I wanted to I wanted to pay down my ignorance tax as fast as I possibly could. It's rather than buy the Bentley or buy the watch so that I could flex on it. I still lived, uh, split a room in a house with six other people while I was making 20,000 month take home because I wanted to have all that money so I could go on the offense if I wanted to go to a seminar or buy a course or go to a workshop or whatever it was so that I could up level my skills and get there faster. And so I think the idea that you want to get there fast is fine. It's just having a realistic expectation of how many skills you need to acquire to get there. Because if you have all the skills, because I think we'll have continuously younger and younger and younger uh, millionaires and billionaires that are going to continue to happen because now a viral idea, I mean, Taylor Swift was 16 when she started recording music. That was a long time ago, right? She's 33 now. Now she's and a billionaire. You keep showing up consistently right. and building it. Mr. Beast is a billionaire. Yeah. He's 24. Crazy. So like it's, it's going to continue to, to go down as the access to education increasingly gets democratized so more people can access it for free. And so a nine-year-old can watch, like there's nothing that stops a nine-year-old from making and running a Facebook ad. There's nothing. Like, and usually they're more tech savvy anyways. Maybe they just got to get a credit card or something. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, apparent, yeah. yeah. And so there, but the, but if we break it down to like the physics right, or the right. action, it's not that hard. There's nothing that prevents people. And so I think that the level of competition will continue to rise. I think young people are more tech savvy. And so we'll in general have a continuously improving competitive advantage over older people because the rate of technological change uh, hastens, goes faster. And so the, the advantage of being young versus old is actually, I think, going to continue to, to expand because tech moves so fast now. Um, that I think there will be more. What do you think about, I mean, I had a mentor once told me when I was 24, 
when I was broke on my sister's couch and I was uh, living for free. Yeah. I was not paying rent. I was, you know, eating leftovers. Good life, man. <laughs> and um, I remember saying to a mentor, I was like, man, I could really use some money right now. Like I could really figure out how to make some more money. Mm -hmm. And he said, money comes to you when you're ready for it. I was huh. like, I feel pretty ready. <laughs> Sorry. And he goes, yeah, it could come, you know, maybe you get it and you're not ready and you you lose it all mm -hmm. because you're not emotionally ready. Yeah. So what advice do you have to people in their 20s who want to make a lot of money, but if they're not emotionally ready, what might happen to them? Everything is trainable. And so if like if we define handling money as a skill, then it can be learned. And so if you, and you can, you can look at anything. Like if you were somebody who continues to hop from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and you can't stick with it, it's usually because you don't have the skill of sticking with something. You haven't been rewarded enough in the past for staying with something or you haven't been burned enough from starting over. Like on your fifth time of starting yet another thing and not getting deep enough on it, you have to think to yourself, maybe this isn't the right way to do it. I love giving this kind of like S-curve analogy, which hopefully your audience will enjoy. But there's five stages I see it as somebody goes through the entrepreneurial journey when they're starting out. In the beginning, you've got the midline, right, where they start. Step one is they go above the midline and they, they go to uninformed optimism. They see the grass on the other side, it looks greener, and they're like, my buddy's doing drop shipping and he's making all this money right, right. and that's going to be me. And then they buy the course, they start watching videos, they start to connect things, things break, they you know buy some inventory, they don't know how much to buy it. And all of a sudden they go to the point two, which is now below the line, which is informed pessimism. This so is hard. Yeah, they find out all the things that they didn't know in the beginning. They paid down some ignorance debt, but there's still more to pay. And they're like, okay, wow. So they keep going because they're like, I got to figure this out. And then they go to point three, which is the value of despair, right? Which is where they're like, this isn't going to work. This is never going to work. And one of the hardest costs, and this is like what entrepreneurship feels like, if I can if I can give it to anyone who's new to this, is the feeling of uncertainty that you don't know if all of the work that you've been spending all of your nights and weekends and off time investing in will ever pay off. And so it's this fear that you're wasting your time. But the reality is that the outcome isn't the thing that you're building. The person you are is the person that you're building, and that continues to work. And so there's a proverb in the Bible, I'm going to butcher it, but... Uh, I think it's an all labor, there is profit. And you can rephrase that as um, I like, as the work works on you more than you work on it. Say it again. The work works on you more than you work on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's about who we become while doing the work more than the outcome from the work itself. Because like I lost everything five years into my entrepreneurial journey, but I still had all the skills and beliefs that I had from before that. And then I was able to reapply those and then have a really you know big outcome in what we have today. And so I remember when I lost everything that first time, I thought, did I just lose five years of my life? Like I just, I just moved back. I'm at ground zero again, but I wasn't because I had all these skills that I had learned, you know, owning and scaling six gyms at that point. And so point one, uninformed optimism, point two, uh, informed pessimism, point three, value despair. And then you go to point four, which is informed optimism. So now you do have a lay of the land. You understand that there's some skeletons. You do have to understand how you, you know, manage some inventory. You got to get ahead of some of the stuff, but you start, you learn how to forecast. You can know that weekends you tend to do better and weekdays you tend to do less. And so you can dial back support on those days and dial it up on the other days. You start to recognize patterns. And so you start to start to know what you're doing, right? You started paying, you're paying down all the ignorance debt. And then finally, step five is you achieve whatever the original goal was. But the problem is that most people go step one, two, three, and then they jump back to step one. With because, something new. Right. And right. so they go to the, yet, yet again, the grass is greener on the other side, but what they don't know is that it's still fertilized with manure. They're still on the other side too. And so there's always everywhere. Let me get into real estate now. Let me get into this. Right. And investing and whole and stocks and, and day trading. Yeah, yeah. Right. Of course, there's all these, you know, quick make money things. 
But if you look at the people who are making the most money in it, they spent usually a significant amount of time. And I'm, I'm saying this again, but I'm bearing it for repetition, is that the Rocky cutscene lasts two minutes in movies and might last five years for most people, or 10. And I remember my, so my neighbor, I met him when he was 15 years old, he now works for us at acquisition.com. Um, but he, uh, this, is a, this is a cool story. So he's 15 years old and he's like, I wanna be an entrepreneur. And so I, you know, he worked out with me every day for a couple of years um, at my home gym. And so he- got Jack now? <laughs> never, never more Jack than me. <laughs> um, and so he then goes to college. And after his first semester, He's like, I don't know, like this is, you know, I'm studying business. And I was like, dude, are you willing in this or not? Are you really doing this? And he was like, well, you know, I just, I'm not, school's not really blah, blah, blah. And I said, the world doesn't need another 3-1 business degree. Either crush school or don't go. If your goal is entrepreneurship. He's like, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. And so I apparently told him this, that he remembers because he brings it up all the time. But I said, you are afraid of going all in on entrepreneurship because staying in college is safe from an approval perspective. So you're doing all these side things, but you don't have to bear the brunt of not a failing because you're still in school. Yeah. It's like, so you need to get you're rid not of all that. In. You're not exactly. all in. Exactly. Yeah. And so he quit school and then he started on the call floor of my, of Gym Watch. Now- well, That's not glorious. And to be fair to the point we're making earlier, I said, I can't get you the job. I won't give you a job. I said, I can get you an interview. I was like, it's going to be up to the sales manager and I'm not going to tell him that I know you. He was like, okay. I was like, you better be prepared. And so he did get the job. To be fair, the qualifications for frontline caller is not, not super high. And the reason that I started him there was because I actually walked in on him one day when he was waiting for me to go work out. And I heard him on the phone trying to do one of these wholesaling, you know, real estate deals. And I said, you know, did you close the deal? And he said, uh, no. And um, he said, I'm not sure if real estate, you know, the wholesaling thing's for me. And I said, well, uh, have you heard you on the phone? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, you sound horrible. You can't sell anything. You're on the skill. Of course. He's like, well, how do I get good at sales? I was like, you work on a sales team with somebody who's been there before and can tell you what to do. And so I got him the interview. He took the job. He became the top uh, salesman on the, on, the, really? on the setting team. Wow. And then he became, sorry, the outbound team. Then he went to the setting team, which is the second rung of salesmen. They qualify the leads. And then he became the top one there. And then he got to the top of the Christmas tree, which is closers. And he became the top closer. He learned skills. Out of 26 guys. Wow. Big team. And a lot of these are men. You know, have families, kids. Wow. And how much can you make as a top closer? 250. Uh, 250 a year. Yeah. It's pretty good money. Yeah, it is good money. For a 21-year-old, 22-year-old? Yeah. 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 19 at the time. 19? Making 250? Yeah. That's life-changing. Of course. And he had to learn how to talk to men. Talking right. to gym owners. 40-year-old gym owners telling them how you can help them with their business. Wow. Right. Takes balls. And so I, 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 I bring that up to say... Is that when you are when you're starting out, you need to focus on learning rather than earning. Now he obviously earned, but it was because he quickly fast tracked his learning process. And so I think one of the biggest hacks in the world is getting paid to learn. Like right now, we have this big societal context of like you pay in order to learn. But what if there were a world where you could get paid to learn? Well, that is what working at a company is if you're mindful of what career path you want to get into. Now, if you're like, I don't know what I want to do then I would recommend starting with a meta skill. So sales is gonna, like, if you learn how to sell, it'll work in any company you're in. If you learn how to market, it'll work in any company. Now, I mean, to be fair, if you get into HR, a zillion businesses need HR stuff, if that's what you like. And if you're like, I don't know what I like. Well, you also aren't gonna like anything unless you start, because we usually only like things that we're good at, and we usually aren't good at things that and we start, <laughs> right? And so the only way to get good at something is to do a lot of it. 
and when you start, you suck. And so a lot of the time, there's this fallacy of finding the right thing or the perfect fit. But one, almost every entrepreneur that I know has had many, many, many businesses and mostly many failures before they had their success. It's because each one of them stair-stepped. And so there's this paralysis around like, I got to pick the right thing. And it's really, you got to pick something. And then you'll learn all the inadequacies that you have no idea about once you get into it. Like I started a gym when I was 22 years old. Like brick and mortar, signed a lease, yeah, saved fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was stupid. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing, but I did have. I did sign. I was, I, you know, kudos to younger me. Uh, I had a mentor early on who was in the gym world. That's correct, right? So you could get advice and learn from. Yes, I mean, still, it was still incredibly hard, but I got. I was able to just get, you know, suck everything like a, you know, fire, fire hose, <laughs> like a yeah. vacuum cleaner, yeah. <laughs> um, to get all the information I needed to just barely keep my head above water until. And then things started to work out because I just, I, every weekend I'd go and drive over to a gym owner and say, why do you do this? Why is your lobby like this? How, how many leads do you convert? How do you call it? Like whatever. And so I just kept doing that every single weekend because I was such a young guy. Everyone was, help yeah, this guy yeah, out. Of course, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have a lot to, I owe a lot to those older entrepreneurs who helped me out. And so in some ways, a lot of what I do at acquisition.com is kind of my, my small way of paying it forward. Hey, Mosey Nation, quick break just to let you know that we've been starting to post on LinkedIn and want to connect with you. All right, so send me a connection request and note letting me know that you listen to the show and I will accept it. If there's anyone you think that we should be connected with, tag them in one of my or Layla's posts and I will give you all the love in the world. All right, so let's get back to the show. And one of the cool things is when you're someone who's getting started and you're going out and humbly asking for advice, but you're taking the actions. Hey, I'm launching this thing. I'm taking the yeah. steps. I'm just trying to figure it out, but I'm taking the actions yeah. and I'm in the process. People usually want to give advice and support and say, Hey, why don't you come check out and well, go out for lunch yep. or whatever it is. But if you're just saying, I want to do this, yeah. but I'm not taking any action. Yeah. People are less likely to help you. Maybe they'll help you a little bit, but if they see you struggling and trying and like yeah. leaping before you're ready. It's like, all right, cool. Let's help you get it going. I love the saying luck favors the prepared. Mm -hmm. So like if you, if you want to go ask you know, Lewis to have you on or to get Lewis on your show, right? Well, what do you do? You don't just ask Lewis. You show how much you've prepared. You say, hey, I went through 50 hours of your content. These are nine questions that have never been asked to you before that I think would be really good. I've got two guys, two buddies of mine from college who are going to also video it. I've, I, I've got this uh, church basement that I can get the lighting to look really cool so we can make cinematic because to be real, I know I don't have the audience that you have, but I can help at least give you clips that will distribute and actually convert for you and hopefully that's enough of value add. Now, Lewis might not say yes, but if you do that a hundred times, count in hundreds, right. one Lewis will say yes. Right. And everyone loves to help people who help themselves, yes. always. Because the, the biggest fear that anyone who gives advice has is that someone takes the advice and does nothing. Exactly. Because they, they didn't learn. They didn't change their behavior. That's true. Right? It's a and, waste of the time. Yeah. So you don't feel like you're teaching. You only teach if they change their behavior. If they change their behavior, they learned. And so everyone, many people, like being a teacher. I think a teaching role is nice. I think most people feel good about it. But you only feel like you have a teaching role if you see a change. And someone I think, takes action. Right. Yeah. And you can you can hack the whole system if you just show people that you'll take take initiative. Hundred percent. If you take I mean that's what happened for me early on. I was just taking a lot of action and people were like they wanted to add me in the room. They wanted me at the table. Yeah. Because I was willing to take action. Even though I was young and broke and struggling, they were like, hey, this guy's showing up. Yeah. I would go to every conference that I could in kind of the social media blogging yeah. world early on. And somehow get to the late night dinners at 2 a.m. Yeah. with all the speakers. And they'd be like, hey, why don't you come tag along, yeah. young guy, you know? Yeah. 
you're bringing us a lot of joy at least, yeah. right? Even though you have no clue what you're totally. doing, you can't offer anything else but joy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're asking me some interesting questions that people don't. Yeah. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about myself for another yeah. 20 minutes. Totally. And you get in the room, you get access and you take action. People will want to keep supporting you. Totally. Because you're applying their teachings and people like that. Makes them feel important. It does. It validates, oh, I know something about my, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's good. You want to keep helping this person grow. What do you think your 85-year-old self needs to tell you now to get to where you want to be faster? Oh, it's funny that that was the question. Um, I mean, he would tell Speaking me. Speaking of the mentors. You yeah, know. <laughs> no, I mean, he would tell me, why do you want to go faster? Be like, why Why can't it take 10 times as long? Uh, from 200 to a billion? Sure. Why not? Like, why? Why, why does it need it... to be five years right. or 10 years? Why right. can't it be 50 years? Right. If you If it took 50 years, but then it all happened at once at the end, would you like that? I don't know, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like the, the man who lives an amazing life and the last day everyone finds out he's a fraud or the man who lives his entire life with everyone thinking he's a fraud and then in the last day of his life, he's proven right. Which one would you rather be? If you're gone, you're not going to get the experience, the fruit of right? it all. But... Interesting question though. Yeah. Right? It's like the painters that become famous once they're dead. Yeah. And so I, I think, I mean, 85-year-old me, I'll tell you the recurring things that he works on with me. Um, patience is a big one. Uh, focus is a big one, sticking with what I committed to, um, focusing on the controllables of like, what are the activities, what are the actions that I have to take and being okay with potentially varied outcomes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but being consistently divorced from the outcome, but trying my absolute damnedest to make sure that everything that is in my control was done to the utmost. And I like, I, we started there, but I just like, it's hard to understand the context like you hear this, you hear people say this, like it's about the journey, not about the destination. And you hear people say like, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about doing the stuff. It's not about the outcome. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's easy for you to say when you have the outcome. Right. When they've already made the money. Of course, yeah, of course I get it. But if you can, if you can make that flip, like it's just the hard part is the action is so much greater. If you really measured yourself by the actions you take then you might be embarrassed. So you really hope to measure yourself on the outcome because you can get by on sometimes winning when you don't deserve it. Mm. And so 85-year-old me never lets me win when I don't deserve it. Ooh, man, I would rather lose, but know I gave my all than win and be like, I just kind of just barely showed up today. Right, you, you know, would know. I won, but it's because I had an inferior opponent. It's yeah. not because I played my best. It sucks to lose. Yeah. But to know, man, I was freaking gave everything, every yeah. ounce of my energy and every trick and skill that I had to play this game and win it. And I came short. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. But at least I know I don't regret the effort that I put in. And I can be, like, here's a great example. This still haunts me today. Yeah. 2002. It was October. So it's 21 years ago. Is that right? October 2002. Yeah, almost, tw almost 21 years ago. Is that what it was? Were you seven? 2002. <laughs> We're playing, um, I'm playing football at Principia College, small school in Illinois. And we, it's my sophomore year there. My freshman year, I went to another school, so I transferred into this school. We're playing, and it's a tight, tight game at home, back and forth. Can't remember the final score, but we lose by a touchdown. I score three or four touchdowns. 
I think I got an, an extra point. I got a two point conversion and I had 17 catches for 418 yards and we lost. In the last couple of plays, we didn't score to, to go and win. And I remember being the last one out of the locker room. I was in the shower. I was so upset that we lost. And my coach comes in, it's kind of an awkward moment because I'm in the shower, yeah. you know, an exposed open shower, yeah. you know, I'm just like kind of pouting and like yeah. sad and depressed or whatever. And just like in there, everyone's gone. Yeah, I'm sad we lost the game. And he kind of comes around the corner and says, hey, Lewis, good game. Um, just to let you know, you broke a world record today. And I go, what? And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, you had 17 catches from 418 yards. No one's ever done that in the history of a football game. You're a new NCAA all-record holder. And I go, I'm sad and depressed and yeah. angry because yeah. I didn't do more to help us yeah. win, and we lost. Yeah. And at the same time, I hear that I did something that no one in the history of the world had ever done in the football game. And it was, it was tough because I felt like, man, we lost, but I gave it everything. Yeah. But I was like, but could I still give it more? It's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, at least we didn't win and I played to a lower level and didn't create that result. Yeah. At least I created something that for me, I can be proud of, even if we lost. It still haunts me that we lost. Interesting. But it's, but I know because we were behind, I had to give so much more than yeah. I was capable of. Yeah. And if we were winning... I wouldn't have gotten that effort out of myself. Uh, so it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. It is because I would wonder if you had that same exact experience, but you didn't break the world record or no one ever told you, whatever. Exactly, right. If you would still, because you said that you had the sting of the loss. And I wonder if Lewis today would feel that way. Because if you, because you said like, I don't know if I could have given more, but I feel like on some levels, like at least for me, like sure we can get into the hypotheticals of like, you can always give more. Okay. Of course, yeah. But there are certain times from like, I know I could sprint after the guy, uh, even though I'm probably not going to get, uh -huh. you know. But I could give it the last 20 yards. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that this is where 85-year-old me is the one that he is ruthless. And I love this David Goggins saying, I don't know if it's a saying of his, I heard it in one of his videos, but he said, there's no shortcuts for you, Goggins. And I just really love that. Like... He doesn't even look for them because he said, you don't get those. You don't get shortcuts. There are no corners to cut. And that to me is like the embodiment of that, of that 85-year-old self because he knows if I could have spread it or not. And so it's if I can appeal to that man's incredibly high standards, which is why like commit to the journey is not the easier path. I think it is the harder path because the standard is higher. And when you really do that, the winning does happen by default, but even even saying that still makes winning the objective, right? And you're just saying this is a different pathway of getting to winning, but winning still kind of matters. It does matter. I it, I think it's a both. It's a the journey matters and the outcomes matter. The more the more because I the can, outcomes also give credibility. Yeah, they give no. more context. They give more experience. They give more wisdom. Yeah, to the teacher. Oh yeah. I, I if you really, had no outcomes, but you said look at all the efforts I put in though. Yeah, yeah. But no, I put in I, ten thousand hours. Yeah. But uh, I haven't sold a company. I haven't built anything because this is really it didn't work. Yeah, you need a both end. Yeah, this is really interesting because on some. So I think from a this is I'm like really liking this. So <laughs> from a yeah from a from a fulfillment perspective. Yes, I believe that truly giving your all, actually not like try your best, 
that's just like, it's such a, it's repeated so many times that it's lost its meaning. But leaving everything on the field, having the tank on zero or empty when you walk off and truly knowing and looking at yourself in the mirror and be like, I could not have done anything more. And it's tough to do that because we're naturally built to conserve effort, right? And so you really have to push and overcome the internal mechanisms that you have that say, don't sprint the last 20 yards. Put a little more, yeah. Right. And that's why like when, when I walked on stage for the, for the presentation, I was like, I have done this before. I am prepared. I could not have prepared more for this in any way that would have been reasonable. And so to, to that degree, I can still define success that way. The outcomes will happen. And I think it's, but it's still that little thing where it's like, do this in order to, you have to cut off the in order to. I really genuinely believe that because I remember when I was in my retirement year, which is, I still own the company, but we were in the process of selling. I had nothing to do. And it was an incredibly depressing year for me, which is why I've oriented my whole life around work because I, I really enjoy it. And I remember getting really angry about this and thinking like, it's not you work hard so that you can. It's like the hard work is the point. Like the point is how hard you learn to work. And that's the whole point where you're like, what has changed from last year to this year? It's like my understanding of my capacity to work continues to grow. And so I am able to work harder and therefore am more proud of the effort that I put into it because at least for me, I feel like I am, I know in the mirror, did I give it my all? And if it, I try to play out, this is a stoic uh, frame, but like if I had had like a hurricane go through and we had not been able to launch because all the energy would have been gone. Let's just say hypothetical. And we fear, did all this prep. Fear virtual event. Yeah. Yes. Would I have been proud of the effort that I put in? The answer would have been yes. You seem to be let down and disappointed that you didn't get to do the thing. Yes. But I think that it, w- it would have been short-lived because I think that is like you, you asked like early on, what has been the biggest difference for you specifically? And this has been whatever, whatever you even call it, super hour, secret, secret, whatever. Like this is what has been allowed me to keep my internal temperature separate from the external temperature to the greatest degree possible is knowing that I'm using my internal thermometer to gauge my success and I'm not perfect by any fun. Right, right, right. But the more I do that, to use your example, if I had worked my absolute hardest for 10,000 hours and I knew that I gave it my all and I had nothing to show for it. Now I've actually had that instance because five years ago I lost everything. Right. No external so, results to show right. for it. Yeah. So I do know what that's like. I think at the end of your life, you'd still be more proud of the man that did his everything, gave it his all, left it all on the field, even if he didn't win. And I think that would be the man that I'd be more proud to be. 